Thank you. Well, it was high noon on May 3rd, 2013. The day and time when Unitarian Universalist congregations seeking interim ministers for the 2013-14 congregational year were allowed to make offers. I was at the annual meeting of the Metropolitan New York chapter of the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association this week following the week before when I had interviews with committees from three congregations. I absented myself from the meeting to be in the lobby at noon for however many phone calls I might get. I'll tell you, the first interview made it real clear that I didn't really want to hear from them again. <laughs> well, it was about a minute and a half afternoon when the phone rang. It was Mina Saxena, the chair of your interim selection committee, inviting me to be your interim minister. And for the fourth time in as many searches, I received an offer from the congregation I had concluded was the best match after the interview process. The short and intensive process of interim placement had concluded for you and for me, but not for all interim ministers and not for all congregations seeking interims. That process stretches out a bit to second and third round sometimes. Well, some of my closest colleagues at that meeting knew it was interim ministry offer day and knew I was in the search at that time. And I happily told some of them one by one that I would be heading for Clearwater, Florida. My wife Jody and I had discussed the possibility of my being away from home for much of the next year or two. But none of the congregations that had really interested me were in the New York metropolitan area, where I've actually lived most of my life, and agreed that we could make it work. We had done so once before for two years, though there's a big difference between a two-and-a-half-hour drive and a two-and-a-half-hour plane flight as a commute. In one case, it's easy to go in one direction or the other quite quickly in the event of an emergency, and the other, it's a little more challenging. Well, I told more people after we had uh, worked out the details of the contract, and about a month after that interim ministry offer day, one of my colleagues emailed me, I hope your transition goes well. I know this is a big deal for you to move away from your favorite city. And I emailed back, I decided I was too old not to try something new. Well, let me be clear, I'm 64. 64 isn't that old. Whatever Paul McCartney may have thought many years before he recently turned 70. <laughs> However, on what would have been my father's 64th birthday, he'd been dead almost four years. And I knew something about clocks ticking. 
And I'd been at that point a Unitarian Universalist for 40 plus years, and in my 37th year of ministry. And during those 37 years, there have been successes and disappointments. And some of those factor into my willingness to try something new. So if I tell you a little bit about my 37 years in the ministry, or well, I'm in the 37th year now, it will help you understand why I was ready to try something new by becoming interim minister of the Unitarian Universalists of Clearwater. And of course, like the majority of Unitarian Universalists, I came from another place, so that's part of the story too. In very brief form, my parents had what they called in the 1940s and 50s a mixed marriage. One Catholic, one Lutheran. Now, the fact that we had already had an even more mixed marriage before they met in my mother's family, one Sicilian Catholic and one Jew, that was, basically, that was almost interracial in the 1930s when Uncle Mikey and Aunt Kitty got married. Uh, nonetheless, this was an interesting factor in the, for a child growing up in the 1940s and 50s and 60s especially from two parents who, although neither of them graduated from high school, both actually knew a great deal about many things and actually read a lot. And in fact, I learned early on what some of the major issues in the Protestant Reformation and the Catholic Counter-Reformation were because my parents argued about them. At dinner, wreaking havoc with all our religious identities including my older brother from my father's first marriage, who was raised and still is a Lutheran. My oldest sister, Maria, who is about as secular as they get, but she made sure her Peruvian son was baptized. My late sister, Susan, who became an ardent Episcopalian. And my youngest sister, Debbie, who actually, because of her developmental disabilities, followed Susan's religious identity, because Susan took care of her until her death. So when I went off to college, I was ready. And it was the height of the anti-movement, and they were burning draft cards at the Arlington Street Church, and I found my way there. And that was the start. But then there was so much more, because with this sort of spiritual chaos going on in my house and battlefields, I had been reading books on mysticism and philosophy and religion all through high school, much to the neglect of what I was supposed to be reading. So I did manage to graduate. And after a few years of being active in UU churches in the Boston area and working for several years at the Massachusetts General Hospital, I decided I was going to go ahead with the ministry. Otherwise, the next step where I was working at the hospital would have been an MBA in hospital administration, and that is good work, but it wasn't me. But I have friends from those days who are doing that work, and, and they've been doing good work all these years, but we have different personalities. So I graduated from Harvard Divinity School in June of 1977, was ordained that October in Burbank, California, at the Unitarian Fellowship of Burbank, my first congregation, a half-time extension ministry. It was an adventure. 
It was the shortest of my longest ministries. Two and a half years. I threw in the towel. And just to, to give you the checklist, next I was at the Unitarian Society of New Brunswick, New Jersey, which never ever was in the city of New Brunswick. Has for over 50 years been in the leafy suburb of East Brunswick. Though it's no longer as leafy where they are. Everything's been developed. That was 1981 to 85. And then an interlude. I decided I needed a break from this parish ministry stuff and decided to go to what was then called the Graduate School of Management and Urban Policy of the New School for Social Research, which is so long a name you figure there must have been Unitarian Universalists involved in coming up with that name. It was known as Gizmup. I did a few other things along there, and after I got the degree, had my third long-tenured ministry, which is a community ministry, not a parish ministry, at its time incorporated a community-based organization, now merged with another group, but at that time covering a swath of the Lower East Side in Chinatown, for six years there. And then to the first Unitarian Universalist Society of Essex County in Orange, New Jersey, where I spent nine years. Never full-time, but while I was there, it grew from half-time to seven-eighths time. That's another complicated story. Ah, but as they say in the infomercials, wait, there's more. 1986, coordinated the Coalition for Nuclear Free Harbor to mark the centennial of the Statue of Liberty by opposing the basing of nuclear-armed ships on Staten Island. I answered an ad in the classifieds in the back of the nation, wanted organizer. That got me into organizing. I'd never actually done that before. And then in the city of New Brunswick, running the Ozenam's men's shelter for the Diocese of Metuchen, New Jersey, a city-sponsored center run by the Catholic Diocese. An adventure in, in balancing a political battle that was going on in that city with how to actually get a men's shelter that was desperately needed and had been closed by the mayor who swore it would never be opened again. Open. Since 2006, I have also been on a very part-time basis an affiliated community minister with the Community Church of New York, where my wife and I are members, and where she attended Sunday school as a child. And then for nine months in 2006-07, working as national coordinator of an alliance of religious and social justice groups working for racial and economic justice in the rebuilding of the Gulf Coast after Hurricane Cain's Katrina and Rita. And then there were a couple of sabbatical ministries where I covered for ministers on leave. And then in one of the great episodes of Too Old Not to Do It, starting a doctorate at the age of 58 at the New York Theological Seminary. Oh, but still there's more. Three completed interim ministries. First Unitarian Society of Plainfield, New Jersey, one year. 
UU Church of Merritt in Connecticut, two years. UU Fellowship of Briarcliff, Croton, and Ossining, one year. And now, Unitarian Universalists of Clearwater. I once added up all the years I'd spent in community ministry and parish ministry, and they added up to more years than I'd been working in the ministry by about five years. This has produced what one person described as an eclectic resume. And sometimes a confusing one. I walked into a job interview with a nonprofit organization. The person I was there to interview me looked at me, looked at the resume, looked at me, and realized in spite of what was printed before him, there was a white man standing there. Well, then as now, I lived in a zip code that was 60% African American. And most people named Anthony Johnson got those not with the garbling of European immigrants' names, but as slave names. But many times in the course of this, I have tried something new. When I went to Burbank for my first ministry, I was actually going to be doing parish ministry after being a member, being on boards, uh, being a student minister, studying theology and religious education and music and all that stuff in the seminary. And having lived all my life in the Northeast, I was going to the West Coast. And moving from a large city, well, Boston seemed like a large city then, but moving from a large city to a small city in a large metropolitan area. What I really tried new while I was there because it was a necessity of where my ministry was and what I had to do there, I started working very seriously in multiracial social justice coalitions. And although I had grown up in a racially diverse community, first in the Bronx and then in Connecticut, two of them, I was actually involved in social justice coalitions with truly diverse leadership and often meetings where those of us who were white were the minority in the room. When I left Los Angeles to take the position in East Brunswick, New Jersey, I was moving to what was undeniably an urban setting, six acres of trees with this meeting house in the woods where you could sit and hear the New Jersey turnpike hum about a thousand yards away thousand feet away, excuse me, a few hundred yards. And now they can hear it even better because the land all around them has been developed and those trees are gone, except on their own land. And it was a university community. They have their own challenges. I felt like I was the chaplain to the scientists at Rutgers University, one of whom remains a friend to this day. And I faced in that congregation a deep-seated mistrust of ministers. I was their fourth minister. The second served a jail sentence after his time there. And left the ministry. And we did a building project. The building then was about 25 years old, 20 or 25 years old. 
leaked like a sieve, was infested with termites. You know, when you build a wooden structure on a sand hill in central New Jersey, you're going to have termites. Especially when, to save money, you cut the trees down yourself, bury them in the hole that you're going to pour the slab over, and let them rot. First thing I smelled when I unlocked the door, the office was chlordane. But we did some major work on the building, and my successor took them through another building project. But that was my first building project. And when I left there for that interlude during which I got the master's degree in urban policy and did the, began doing organizing and so forth, I tried some new things. I really learned organize, started to learn organizing and started doing serious thinking and studying in the social sciences and got to do a real building project, an abandoned tenement that we gutted and turned into 10 apartments for permanent housing for homeless families. And put together a deal that allowed the first floor to remain commercial in spite of the state funding to continue to support that supported housing upstairs. And so when I went to be executive director at its time, I was doing new things again. Being an executive director, with my experience in the ministry at that point, is the first time I had a board that respected their chief executive. I really learned fundraising. I'd taken courses in fundraising, but I really learned fundraising. And much to my surprise, I like it. You know, there is very little as rewarding as enabling people with resources beyond their needs to put those resources to work for their values and beliefs. And that's really what fundraising is. Enabling people to use their values, to, to, to use their resources, to enhance and make real their values. But I also got to work in cultures I hardly knew. Although I grew up in a racially diverse community, there were very few Asians where I grew up. And here I was in Chinatown, where even though I knew no Chinese, I got to the point where I can tell who is speaking Toisan, who is speaking Cantonese, who is speaking Mandarin. And at that point, the new ethnic group, language group coming in, Fujianese. Fujianese now dominates Chinatown, whereas at that time it was Cantonese. And I did that housing development, one of the most rewarding projects of my entire career. and was supervising people doing tenant organizing about which I knew a little theoretically, but they knew a whole lot by being on the ground for decades doing it. And I learned from them. And then when I went to that church in Orange, New Jersey, I was doing something I'd wanted to do for nearly 20 years, inner-city multiracial parish ministry. It was something new even though I'd long wanted it. It's a majority-minority community, after four years of working there, I gave up my place on the Jersey Shore to live there. Couldn't walk to the ocean anymore, but I could walk to the church. And another new thing there we tried out was congregation-based community organizing. I'd never done that form before. But congregation-based community organizing is what you were doing with FAST. And in that setting, it was not with the DART Center, which is the group that FAST is affiliated with, but with the Gamaliel Foundation. 
And so I did day trainings, seven-day trainings, got the congregation involved. And this was a new thing because all of this model dates back to Saul Alinsky, who was organizing in the 40s, maybe in the 30s. And I had heard him speak in Boston in the 1970s and wasn't yet willing or able to hear the message that effective organizing is built around self-interest. I was too idealistic in my 20s to get that. By the time I was in Orange, I got it. And really became engaged in this kind of organizing. And watching out for self-interest, I watched out for the self-interest of that congregation because the Veach Foundation, you know, from whom all financial blessings flow in this denomination, was sponsoring what they called the Urban Disciples Project for Innovative Urban Ministries. And I hustled to get our congregation invited into that program, and we, we were. We developed an after-school arts program in our inner-city neighborhood, did organizing in that neighborhood. And when we were able to hire our first paid DRE in that church's history, we were able to get someone with an MSW who also worked on that project, who knew something about organizing. And then when I decided that interim ministry was the path for me, that was something new. The idea that I wasn't going to settle in one place for a long time. My first intentional interim was Plainfield, New Jersey. I say intentional because I think we're all interims ultimately. Just sometimes it lasts 40 years. And that was also an inner city racially diverse congregation and only a 35 minute drive from where I lived. And when I went to Meriden, Connecticut, I was once more working less than full-time. They hadn't had a full-time minister in half a century, though they'd once been one of the largest churches in that industrial city. But the captains of industry who had built the St. Paul's Universalist Church were long gone. They were in the silver business. But there are still streets there named for them. And they had sold their historic building across from City Hall, had moved to another location within the city. Fifty members, they couldn't afford to put a million and a half dollars worth of repair into a stone building. And they started growing again once they sold that building. And they had some other struggles and they needed an interim ministry and I looked at that and said, that looks a lot more interesting and turned down an offer for a full-time interim to take that one. But I was at that point outside the metropolitan New York area for the first time in many years and away from home for a week to 10 days at a time. Yeah, it was, it was you know, a 125-mile drive each way, and I know people who drive those commutes every day, but I'm never going to be one of them. That's too long. So now here I am in Clearwater, trying new stuff. I've actually left the northeastern industrial city, which all those places were where I'd been before, with the exception of Croton on Hudson up in the Westchester County. And I'd moved now to what is a low-density city or suburb. I'm not quite sure what Clearwater is demographically. But I also know that southern cities are, tend to be low-density and low-rise. So they don't look like northeastern cities, but they're still cities. 
And I'm here at a much larger congregation than those several others in recent years. Solidly middle-sized. But the biggest change is being away from home for a month, month and a half at a time. That's a challenge. But I was too old not to try something new. Why? Well, I'd mentioned the fact that my father had died at a fairly young age. Heart disease and, uh, and vascular disease runs through my family. I'd had a health scare myself in 2005 06. I, I was referred to a cardiologist, some of you will love this story, who was convinced because of my family history that I must be on the verge of a heart attack. So he, he ran enough tests that he found something that looked wrong. You know, with these high-tech tests, you can find something wrong with anybody. Put me on a load of medications and maybe put 30 pounds on because it slowed my metabolism down so much, even though I was going to the gym regularly and working out. And when I had the angiogram, the surgeon came out and said, you know, your heart looks younger than the age on the medical record. I weaned myself off the drugs and fired the cardiologist and went back to the gym. <laughs> I still have 10 of those pounds, and I'm working on it. <laughs> but you know, you have a health scare like that, and it's a reminder that you're mortal. It doesn't matter that you get through that one. It's still a real scare, and it reminds you that you're mortal. So that's when I began the doctoral work. You know, I'd really set out to do that 20 years earlier when I went to the new school. I was going to get a PhD in sociology. But there were young children at home, and that was not really going to work for me to not work for six or seven years. So I went and said, okay, I'm taking a chunk of my retirement money and getting this doctorate. I never thought I was going to retire anyway either because I was going to die young or I was just going to keep working. And I liked interim ministry. I was already doing it. And you know, was really determined to do it better. And the doctoral work I did focused on how different religious groups share space when they meet, to get, meet in the same buildings. And in fact, I pulled together stuff from all bits and pieces of my career because it was about 10 landlord relationships in religious buildings where one religious group owns it and five others share it with them and pay rent. No, I did not organize the tenant groups to operate against the landlord congregation. I actually worked to learn how they could have multi-layered relationships in spite of that initial sort of economic relationship. And that has already you know, strengthened the work I do as a minister. And I was really enjoying interim ministry and wanting bigger and better challenges and willing to travel a little farther from home to do them. And so what persuaded me to come to Florida? What is by all appearances a healthy congregation? of a good size to work with, with resources to work with. 
A happy departure of a minister. This is something rare in my experience when I've gone places as an interim to follow a minister who'd had a happy departure. I've said to some of you in our little private, our private conversation, the first thing I had to do in a lot of places was mop the blood up off the floor before I could do much else. Um, but also positive, really, some really positive things. The multi-faith nature of the festival Ruach. This is right up the alley of my interest of the last seven or eight years in that not only do we live in a multiracial and multicultural society, we live in a multi-faith society, and we have to know how to live well together because that's the future. However much some people who seem to think Barack Obama was born in Kenya and is a Muslim, that's the future. That's just a big act of denial, that kind of nonsense. And I was also impressed with your having joined FAST, Congregation-Based Community Organizing, which is multi-faith, which crosses all kinds of lines of race and class as well as religion, and challenges people in various religious perspectives to learn how to talk to each other, which is one of the things I'm incredibly interested in and committed to, is having people of different faith stances, being able to talk to each other and as in it happens in this organizing model, find their common self-interest to make their communities better places in spite of their differences. So now I've told you why I was, you know, how I concluded I was too old not to try something new, which was coming to Florida, working with this congregation, uh, you know, stretching things in my life. So now I pose a question to all of you to think about. Is there something that one of you would like to try that you're too old not to try? Not too old to try. That's easy. You know, I'll never be a good tennis player. I get that. <laughs> so I'm not even trying that one, you know. But, but too old not to try. Think about that for You know, he had an appeal earlier in the service to join the FAST team and take part in the meetings. How about that? How about that? It's a new way of talking and framing decisions about what to do in social justice work. How about trying participating in the listening campaign? Because what happens there is moving into a different kind of social justice work than we do in a lot of Unitarian Universalist congregations. Yeah, you know, I can't. I, I, one congregation after another, and you know, I'm on the panel that approves grants for social justice work by UU congregations by the funding program. I see so many applications, so many congregations that think that social service is social justice work. It is in some ways, but it doesn't change the structures of the system. It doesn't change the structures that make people poor or make some schools worse than others, or that segregate people by income or ethnicity. The model of congregation-based community organizing is to build power. Taking part in this kind of work empowers you not to help other people, which is something you use really like to do, help other people, but to change yourself into more powerful people in coalition with others who may be different from you.
reaching across lines of race and class as well as faith. Building stronger multi-faith relationships. Think about that. That might be something you want to try while you still can, is being part of that work. Because people grow from doing that work, too. It's not just giving, it's getting back. So in, in reflecting on this topic of too old not to try something new, I can't help but mention Diana Nyad, who on her fifth attempt last weekend swam from Cuba to Florida. Her first one when she was 29, her her fifth attempt when she was 64. I looked and said, we're the same age, aren't we? Hmm. And of course, I keep trying to do new things in the gym and keep trying to be, be stronger and faster in the things I work on. 64, well, I looked it up. She is younger than I am. <laughs> Five months to the day. <laughs> she only turned 64 on August 22nd. <laughs> Had she done this two weeks earlier, she would have only been 63. <laughs> but I was thrilled when I, you know, I watched her when she came out of the water and gave that brief speech. I've got three messages. One is we should never, ever give up. Two is you never are too old to chase your dreams. And three is it looks like a solitary sport, but it's a team. Well, that last one applies to ministry. And this first two could apply to any one of our lives. In a few years, she probably would have been physically too old to keep trying, no matter how well she trained. So she did it. And maybe there's something in your life that you won't be able to do in a few years and you've been putting off, and maybe you should do it, or tried it and failed and tried and failed, and maybe you should try one more time. I've had a few of those in my life. You've heard a bit of them as I've talked to you this morning. And if you have a dream for this congregation, don't give it up. Try it. If you have a dream for justice, don't give it up. Try one more time or two more times or whatever it takes. If you're hesitant about the listening campaign, just try it. You'll be amazed what it does for you. And maybe during this interim period, think about trying a new role in this congregation, different from what you've done before. Interim periods are time to try new things. And, of course, dream of a future for the Unitarian Universalists of Clearwater with the next minister who has similar dreams and work towards those dreams. An interim period is a time of change, a time of transition, a time of ending and beginning. So I concluded I was not too old to try something new. How about you? Or you? Or you? There must be something you're not too old to try. You might think you are, but you're really not. And in fact, you're too old not to try it if you are thinking you are too old. Because maybe you've got a good reason to think if you don't do it now, you won't ever get to do it. And that's what I was thinking with that doctoral program. That's what I was thinking when I decided to travel a long distance, to move on to a different kind of ministerial setting and try something new. If not, now when? 
think I'm quoting a rabbi on these high holy days. <laughs> if not now, when? If not, who, me? If not me, who? Excuse me, I'm quoting from memory there. I wasn't even thinking about it. So think about what it is that you want to do. And if you're really too old not to try it, which means, as an old song Phil Oaks did many years ago, I've got to say it now. Let us go forth. Amen.